You're listening to the Boss Business of Surgery series, episode 113. Today, I talk with Dr. Paula Ferrada. She is an amazing inspiration. Hearing her story of grit, determination, and how she has turned everything that she has learned in the process to become a surgeon into lessons that will help the next generation are just truly phenomenal. There are so many pearls in this episode. I know you're all going to love it. And if you're at home and wondering, how do I deal with this difficult partner and colleague? The head to bosssurgery.com because the difficult partner and colleague coaching group starts in January. Welcome surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. I'm so excited for this guest today. This is Dr. Paula Ferrada. She is such an inspiring woman surgeon. I cannot wait for you to hear her backstory and all the things that she's done. So this is going to be a really great episode. So Dr. Paula Ferrada, she is the division chief of trauma and acute care surgery and the program director for surgical critical care fellowship at Innova Fairfax. But I know her from online, seeing all the things that she's done to elevate other people, her leadership skills and all the things that she does to really empower the people around her, I think was really such an inspiring message. So I'm really excited to hear all that she has to talk about. So, but first though, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, number one, Dr. Amy Vertres, thank you so much for having me here. It's an honor to spend this time with you and thank you for the opportunity to talk about these things, important things that we can all benefit from. And I, I feel honored to spend this time. So about myself a little bit, I, I was born in Colombia, in South America, from a, a father that is a surgeon that is very well known in Latin America and a mom that is a nurse. I don't believe that I picked surgery. I think surgery picked me in the sense that, you know, when my parents didn't have childcare, it's Colombia, so it's different than the United States. We had different rules at the time. When I started, I mean, my parents didn't have childcare, and so they would bring me to the hospital. So the hospital became home for me and my sister, and we used to, like, draw in progress notes and play with uh, empty, unused syringes as Legos and do all these things. And I, the first time that I scrubbed in the operating room, I was 12 years old. And I think it's because the nurses got sick and tired of taking care of me. And my dad was doing the surgery. It was a rupture triple A and the, the, the clamp move and the blood went to the sky. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then I couldn't shake it. My dad tried forever to, to convince me not to do surgery, not, not, not in any mean way, but he was like, you could do dermatology. Why don't you do ophthalmology? Why don't you do something that allows you to have a, and I'm like, no, I want to, this is what I want to do. And, and, and that's how it started. That's how the bug of surgery started. I came to the United States with the illusion that I had in my heart of being a surgeon, you know, how some when you have or hear these stories of people like having the dream of being a rock star, having the dream of being an actress, my dream was to be a surgeon in the United States. And it was really hard because at the beginning, nobody will give me the time of day. I did, I did research. I did, I worked for free. I got a preliminary spot in a place. I got offered a categorical spot. And last minute in May, um, May, very, very late, I was told that that categorical spot was not mine. And because I was naive and young, I didn't have anything in writing. So I have to hustle to get a, a categorical spot. 
I had a amazing team of friends because I believe when you go through difficult times, those relationships that you have basically last forever. And those people that are still my friend. And I told them, look, I have to go find out. I, 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 I interview over the phone in a couple of places. One of the places told me that they were going to call me back. They didn't. So I told them that I needed to go find out. I went to the airport with my green scrubs, bought a ticket to Boston, show up to the chairman's office and told them you have to hire me. And I think at the beginning, the chairman was like, what are you doing here? Who are you? And I'm like, look, I am, I am, I am the person that has the surgeon. I am a surgeon. I have the fire in my belly. Uh, give me an opportunity. And he hired me. And that's how I had the opportunity of living the dream of, of being a surgeon in the United States. I, as hard as it is sometimes, and whatever is it that is hard, is it because we don't sleep, we're working hard, or we have a bad outcome or we have difficult things at work the thing that keeps me happy it reminds me I not only was my choice but the, I'm living my dream every day and I am always being grateful of the program that graduated me then I did fellowship and in critical care then I did another fellowship in acute care surgery I worked for ele- for another hospital for 11 years and now I'm in Innova and I'm super happy with I do with what I do every day it has been an interesting an interesting journey, but everything about everything about it has been worth it. Now let's just stop for a minute. <laughs> <All right. laughs> that was long. Well, no, no, I'm just I, I this really amuses me to no end because I love how you just say it like it's no big deal. How I didn't speak the language and I got on a plane and I came to a different country and I didn't have any guarantees. And I had to work for all of that. I was told promises that fell through. And I put on my scrubs, or I was in my scrubs, and I got on a plane and said, you'll hire me. <laughs> I mean, I think is that um, I, I, I love the fact that I can tell the story because it worked, right? I yeah. wouldn't be sorry if it didn't work. But I think it was like, I think that the... I really, really thought in my brain and in my heart and in my soul, like I am going to be a surgeon in the United States. There was nothing, there was nothing that will deter me from it. And I remember people telling me, like, if you want to stay in the United States, you're not going to be able to be a surgeon. And I was a foreign graduate. It was, it was really hard to get yeah. that they said, well, think about something else. And I'm like, look, you're giving me advice because that's how you feel it will go for you. And I appreciate it. Thank you. But I know I'm going to do it. Yeah. I, it might take me longer. It might take me, it might be harder for me, but I know, I, I, I know my path. Right. And, you know, what you've described is what we were talking about before is the, the hustle to get what you want, but the, the formula for hustle is not just working. It is the absolute certainty that you know what the end point is. And you can tell just from your story, there was no doubt whatsoever that you knew exactly what you wanted. And it didn't really matter how it came about. It sounded like you had no problem thinking about it. There was complete faith that was going to work out. And even if this path didn't work, there's all these other paths that will. And that is just something that we don't always think about because what happens, I think sometimes our naivete works in our favor because we don't think about how it's going to fail. It's like, oh, well, that didn't work. Well, of course, it's going to work. So let's just figure out how it works. But so what got you through all that? Like, where did that level of certainty come from? I don't know exactly. I think that pathological optimism, maybe. 
I think that I always, I was very optimistic. I, of course, I was naive and with the knowledge that I have right now, who was the person that I was going to knock on the door? Who was that chairman? Now, knowing who that person was, maybe I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone. I don't know. But I think, but I think when you have a dream, you know, I was, I was looking like scrolling through Instagram and I saw some quote from some famous page was saying, don't follow your boyfriends, follow your dreams. And I, and I was like, look, that is exactly right. Like when you know you have a dream and you want to accomplish and it's something inside of you, it's almost like, like you breathe it, you eat it, you leave it. That's, there's nothing else that, that, that will make you as happy. So why not invest in you? Why not believe in you? Right. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe in you, who else is gonna? Yes. Oh, I think that's amazing. Now, so describe to me the the hustle, like where did you learn that from? Or was that just something that evolved from knowing what your dream was? I think it evolved because I have to tell you the truth. I, I don't think I hustled very much when I was in Colombia. It was, it was a great medical school. Uh, it was, it was a poor medical school, but my dad was a professor there. I, I, I had good grades. I was a good student. I think it was when, after I came to the United States, of course it wasn't easy. I think it takes a, uh, a little bit of bravery. It, it depends if it, if it works, you think you were brave. It doesn't work. People think that you were crazy, right? But either or, however you want to call it of determination of saying this is what I have to do to get what I want and if you don't if you don't do that and if you don't get outside of your comfort zone then you're never gonna get it I mean it's gonna be scary you're gonna have rejection you're going to have to learn another language people are gonna make fun of you for your accent I still get make fun of my about my accent but at some point it has to be like what is it gonna be what is more important right and, and, and now I understand that after reading and studying and doing all these things about leadership, when we talk about failure and being failure is the failing is being your first attempt in learning. I now know it in my brain, what it means, but before I even read it or study it, I think I had it in my heart. Like it doesn't matter how, how many times I'm going to fall. I know I can get up. I know I can clean my knees and keep going. Right. So if, even if he's not, for anything else, I'm going to wear them down until I actually get the opportunity that I need. And I think that that's a really great lesson that we are not always taught about the idea of the resilience, which is I fall down, I get up, you know, something happens, no big deal. I just try again. It comes from just that level of certainty. A lot of people don't necessarily have that level of insight into what they're capable of. And it sounds like you always had this vision of who you were and what you were capable of. And anything that came along the way was like, yep, this is just another way to get to where I want to go. Right. And I'm not saying it's not sad. I think sometimes um, it's sad. Sometimes it's isolating. Sometimes you're going to run into people that are going to make your life more difficult. And sometimes, and, and that is not gender specific, right? I have had frenemies that have been of any gender, of any nationality. I have people that have been extremely supportive of every gender and every nationality. And I think that is, and is, it, there is some heartbreak involved in doing that. But through is the only way through it, through the situation, is the only way that that you can actually accomplish what you want and then look back and be proud of it. Or the other, what is the other option? The other option is that you just stay within your comfort zone and then your, your mind and your soul is full of what if 
what ifs or if only I could have. I, I think life is too short. I completely agree. And we were also talking before we started recording about the idea of necessary struggles. So, I mean, all of our careers, we we think, you know, I'm going to finish medical school and then residency and I'll become an attending and I just do surgeries and I see clinic and then that's it. But we forget about working with other people. <laughs> so everyone, I think it's difficult when you're in a department or any department, and this is all, this is very generic because we all have these struggles too. When we're working with other people in different departments, sometimes the job that we started with doesn't always turn out to, you know, the job changes every year. I tell people all the time, I'm in my seventh year of the hospital that I'm at right now. And I feel like I've had seven different jobs, not like one job. It, it changes all the time. So tell us a little bit about what your career path has been of navigating a department where it started out one way and ended up another. How did you decide to leave from one place to another? How did that evolve? Not easily. <laughs> so I think, yeah. I think, um, I think um, you're right. I think the job changes. I think the people in leadership changes. And there are some people that are great to work with, that are going to empower you and that are they're going to want you to succeed and they're going to see your success as their success. And they're going to be people that are going to be extremely threatened, that do not want to see you succeed. And some of them are men and some of them are women. And I that is- agree. This is and not that, a gender thing at all. It's not a gender thing, but I think it's something that we as women that are growing in these leadership positions need to be fully aware of and, and be mindful and be intentional in helping each other, in, 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 in being advocates for each other when we are in rooms where these decisions are being made, right? So when when discussions are being made of who to put in, in fellowship, don't let the jealousy win and say something uh, that might hurt that person that won the opportunity. Advocate for the people that have earned the right of uh, that of going up because at the end it should be about merit. It should not be only about about friendships and connections. How did I take the decision to live? It wasn't easy because you know it's something interesting because you think that. A little, it's a little a little bit of heartbreak you think the institution is going to love you back but the institution is not going to love you back the institution is there to get what they need from you while you're useful to their goal right and if you have the same goals and if you're aligned with your leader or with the institution then you're fine but if your goals become different let's say something as simple that your goals are continue to grow academically but your leader at the time thinks that you're growing too fast for their liking, then all of a the sudden there's there's less love, right? There's more obstacles. There, there are obstacles that are placed on purpose and there are obstacles that are maybe not placed on purpose. And then you have to learn how to navigate them. You, I think it's super important that wherever you are working, because our work, our job is hard to begin with, right? It's very stressful to begin with that we are in an environment where we feel where we belong, not where we have to feel that we have to fit in. I went through a phase where I was like, maybe I'll cut my hair. Maybe I don't wear hoops anymore. Maybe because I am obviously Latina. And at some point you have to decide. I, I think I have relationships with my family are important, with my friends are important. But there's a relationship that we neglect sometimes. And it's in a relationship with yourself. 
you have to respect yourself. You have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm proud of what I did. I did not betray myself. And whatever aspect, whether if it's what you're wearing, what you're saying, or who you are and what you're doing. And I think that is critical to be in an environment where you belong. And sometimes you can change the environment and that's wonderful. But if you can't, it's also critical that instead of being banging your head against a wall and hurting yourself, you find a way out. And I think this is such a great point. There are several points in all of that too, is is one is really figuring out who you authentically are and being that person. And I know in many groups I've seen where we've all talked about how we've become the stereotypical surgeon, the stern, the other things, you know, we tried on that, 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 you know, costume for size and tried to be like other people or try to be like the stereotype says. And at some point, you started to realize it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to be, it's okay to wear the hoops and to have the hair long and all the things and, and be the girly girl or whatever it is. When your true authentic self comes out, the problem that we have is that when we do that, people may not respond to that. And it's not necessarily our problem. It sometimes becomes our problem, but it doesn't mean we need to change. It's simply recognizing that we will set off something in other people that is not necessarily our responsibility to manage their expectations. We just have to figure out how to live with someone and, you know, help to change their mind about us because we should not change. And just like you said, in the end, we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, this is who I am. And, and if this is not who they can, they can deal with and they can work with that, that is their problem to solve. That actually isn't my problem to solve. And it took me a long time to figure that out. 100%. I I agree with you. I it took me a long time to figure it out too. And, and it's also I think because I I wonder if this is more common in women, we're people pleasers, and we want to be like, we accommodate, we we come in early, we never say no, we always uh, compromise, we we sacrifice more sleep, we do this, we do that, we stretch. And uh, because we want to please people, and we want to not rock the boat. But I don't think that that will get us what we want or what we need. I, I find some people don't like when women ask for what they want. But if you don't ask for what you want, then you know, you don't advocate for yourself. Then then um, then for sure, you're not going to get what you want. You, when you ask for what you want and people say no, it's hard to hear. But then now, you know, right now, you know, you try, you try your best. You did your best. It's now find another way. But if you never ask, how are you going to know? How are you going to, you're never going to know. You're going to, they're being waiting for somebody to, to read your mind into what you want. It, it, it is harder. I also think that it's important that we understand that it's not our responsibility. There's a lot of pathology in surgery, there, mm-hmm. in, especially in surgical leadership, right? There's a lot of pathology and it's not, we're not, we're surgeons and we're healers and we're, and we're good people, but it's not our responsibility to heal everybody. And it's not our responsibility when people are mean to other people, nine times out of 10, it has nothing to do with you. And it has everything to do with them. Mm-hmm. It has to do with their incapacity to coping with stressful situations. It has to do with their feeling threatened or whatever happens in their past. Or, or or some insecurity that 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 they have, uh, it is not your job to fix it. It is, however, your responsibility is to take care of yourself, is to understand your boundaries, and is to protect the people that you love. That is a hundred percent your job. 
I completely agree. And a lot of times this comes up with a, a mismatch in expectations, just a mismatch in general. So when I have an idea something's going to happen and someone else has an idea of, of how something should be, one of us is going to be disappointed. <laughs> and I have no problem now disappointing them. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it's okay to disappoint other people and life goes on. And, you know, I think, I think at the end, like, like we were talking about before, I think at the end, you just have to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and be proud of who you are and what you have done. Yes. And I think that that's, you know, when we were talking about helping people, I think that that for me is key. It's not only the right thing to do, uh, right? But I think also it helps you create a legacy. It helps you bring positivity. It helps you change the narrative where we have women stepping on women. And 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 I, I believe that that is our sticky floor, girl and girl crime, right? And I think it's time for us to understand that if somebody else have an opportunity, it doesn't mean that you don't have that opportunity. It's okay to celebrate other people doing well. Other opportunity will come to you. There's many more. There's yeah. like that that scarcity mindset where you feel that other people got a piece of the pie and oh my God, I'm going to go hungry. The pie is way bigger than you. That there's no need to hustle and struggle for thing, for other things. You will find your path and you will find your way. I'm thinking if you take like the pie concept, if you think like someone takes a slice of the pie, that there's less pie. I'm thinking if you take a slice of the pie, bring your own too. Now we have a potluck. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it's, I think it's critical that, you know, when we're talking about a specific gender specific things that we as women recognize how to help another woman, how to be advocates for each other, how to, be sponsors for each other and move away from the queen bee mentality. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. This idea of, you know, the women against women and queen bee phenomena. So tell me what your take is on the queen bee phenomenon and why do you think this should go away? My take is I have, I, I, it's hard enough to experience mistreatment or in some occasions bullying or, or bad behavior from men that might feel threatened of what you're doing or might not understand what you're doing because in their mentality, then maybe women should be at home taking care of the children and maybe you're not fitting what they believe that is the social construct. That is already hard to to fight. Uh, Why add another obstacle in having people that supposed to be your allies because they're going through the same thing? Why add another obstacle of them either because of jealousy or because of fear or anything else, like hurting you or not letting you accomplish what you need to accomplish? I think it comes from from the fear of maybe if she gets it, then then there's no room for me anymore. But that I, I find it not to be true. I actually believe that helping people helping people brings more positive vibes brings more opportunities brings more not to mention that increases serotonin oxytocin dopamine the good enzymes that the good the good hormones that are going to make us happier but also allows you to create a legacy and i think that the more that we do that the kindness is the, is is the one thing that the more that you give the more you get it, it, it multiplies the same with happiness it's contagious 
And I think that sometimes it's hard to see because we live difficult lives. You work really hard, you do a bunch of stuff in the OR, you have difficult environments, you have to deal with some gender disparities from the environments that we, that we live on. But it takes a conscious decision to break the cycle and be part of the difference. Yes, I love that. It, it takes a conscious effort to break the cycle. So tell us some of the ways that you have been breaking the cycle. I think I think for me, it started for me with me helping students and helping residents. And that it was like very easy for me just because I wanted I wanted to give opportunities to people, especially opportunities that at the beginning I was denied. But then I started looking around in my friends and my colleagues and and particularly when I joined uh, as the Asian chief changing the culture into a culture that was a culture of belonging, of acceptance, of, of trust, you know, is trusting. I think when when all of us in surgery, whether you want to admit it or not, maybe somebody out there that is listening to this is super lucky and they have been nurtured and love and help for the entire surgical career. But most the surgical mentality and surgical training where you're the private food, the private sleep is like, macho, I don't accept vulnerability, asking for for help is weakness, where, where that, that those kind of things. And, and it, when it becomes a little bit worse than that, right? Uh, some people in programs used to headbutt other residents. And, and basically that culture of fear creates when people, it's like it's when you beat up a dog so much then the dog immediately when you raise the hand goes to bite you because they already feel that they're going to be attacked. You see, when you see those maladjustment behaviors, when people react in anger and yell and scream at the nurses or yell or scream at other people or behave like that, they don't behave like that only just because they choose to. It's because they have been conditioned to, because they are afraid, because they have previous experiences where if they didn't act that way in a way of protecting themselves, they were exposed. Because if they don't yell and scream and posture, they will have to actually tell people, you know what, I'm uncomfortable. You, I, I'm, I, I cannot, I, I, people cannot say, some people that react that way is people be, that, that cannot say to yourself, you know what, I, I need help. I had a complication and I'm afraid. I don't, when M&M, and sometimes it's a classic example, right? Pointing fingers and, and, and exposing um, people in front of everybody instead of being like, you know what? It happens to everybody. How can I help you? How can I help you recover? So you honor this patient by not letting it happen again. Instead of like, oh my God, that person is an assassin, right? <laughs> yes. And, it, and it's not only, and I, I truly believe that the way that we talked to each other and about each other matters. Mm-hmm. And it matters, especially when the other person is not there. And I think that behavior of fear and anguish, and it, it doesn't allow you to be vulnerable because if you expose your vulnerabilities in a situation where there's no trust, it's bleeding around sharks. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, creating an environment where it's okay to fail, it's okay to have a complication if we're uh, working together to make it better. Nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. It's okay to ask for help. And created that situation where we trust each other immediately decreases the angst. And so all those behaviors of acting up start to decrease because you know you're in an environment where you're supported. Yes. And I I know exactly where these lessons came from. They do not come from like 
magic. These come from struggles. And I know that we talked about the necessary struggles. So I really love how you articulated the fact of when I thought of an opportunity that I lost, rather than saying I lost that opportunity, you know, you turn this around to saying, how can I make sure someone else doesn't lose this opportunity? And, you know, when I feel like I didn't get the support that I need, how do I make sure other people get the support that they need? It's when you start to realize where we struggled and then turn that around and saying, how can I heal myself by helping somebody else out? That turns us into more of a the reactive component of us to the purpose-driven. Um, and we start to heal our past, whatever happened to us, by making sure it doesn't happen to someone else. So that's where uh, I talk a lot about a purpose to our pain. We all have these struggles, but not everyone takes these struggles and makes the next generation better. But that is a really great formula for breaking a cycle of, because you're absolutely right, we've all been conditioned to behave in ways that I don't think that is completely normal human behavior. (laughs) (laughs) But, and, and the thing is, is that if you look back with some compassion for how everyone behaved, I mean, it is kind of like the dog behaved that way because it was trained to do so. Like we've all passed this culture of harmfulness and for us to realize the influence that we have on other people, I think is where the cycle is also broken, not just seeing where we needed help, but also recognizing our influence in other people. And we see our influence in other people and how they react to us and that can change who we are, or we can realize I have influence on in other people. So I can actually become the person that I want to be and show them that that's allowed. I can be vulnerable in Eminem because this is who I am. This is who I want to be. And now I've kind of created a culture where this, this is now the new normal. This is now what's accepted and people have the ability to choose. And I think really, especially the emotional maturity and going through these struggles and earning your places you have with all the hard work that you've done is allowing you to see your influence in other people. So I'm awfully glad that you're in all of these leadership positions and in, in training the next generation and stepping up into the leadership roles that you are. So tell us a little bit about some of the leadership roles and what has attracted you uh, to them. Like, what is your plan for the future? That, those are great questions. Thank you. I So what attracted me to leadership positions? I think that um, I saw in, first of all, it was education. I love education. And when I was in the previous place where I was, I was first associate program director of the residency program. Then I became director of the fellowship. And I realized that I love surgery. I love stopping bleeding. It's am- I, I get this, this amazing dopamine search when I take call. But I also love uh, that one-on-one relationship with people. It's very gratifying for me to see somebody else succeed on their own merit right because it's not it's like I'm helping them but that's that's their success and it's okay and it's okay not like not to have have them take the credit and the ownership for it and I realized that I actually really like that and I also realized that the environment where we are in surgery or where we where I was at the time there was a fundamental lack of compassion for each other but also for ourselves and then the, it's interesting to me that for us that we're surgeons, we understand compassion for the patient very well. We're, we're fierce advocates for patient safety and for the patient. But when it comes about compassion for somebody 
uh, for your peers or when it comes about compassion for yourself, it, it, it comes, it is harder. And then why? And, and if we want to make a change, you can make a change one person at a time. But when you're in leadership position, you have the opportunity to make a change as a whole. And so I was, I, I started being driven about it. And as everything, like when you start learning anatomy, you have to study anatomy. When you're learning surgery, you have to read about technique. I also believe that leadership, you're not born with it. You have to train, you have to read. And I started reading a lot about it. Like almost every day I read something. Uh, No, every day I read something about leadership. And the more I read, the more I was driven towards it. So I ended up being in leadership positions. I think as a consequence of me being in like studying and intentionally becoming a better a better leader and I think a better person I think that I also you're gonna think this is crazy but I do believe before all these manifestation things that came in Instagram I have always believed that that what you want what you think what you visualize how you feel all of those things you put out in the universe come back to you Mm-hmm. So, so I, I strongly believe in that. I, and I, I'm Catholic. I don't even know if this is part of Catholicism, but I, but I think that I think when, once you go, let's say, for example, you decide tomorrow, I want to go, I want to go from A to C and, and it's like huge and difficult and you don't know how to do it. But if you put your mind to it and you start thinking about it and you start like, and you have faith and you start planning and, and, and all of a sudden, boom, it's like the it's like the universe shows you how to go and what to do, what to do about it. It sounds very abstract, but but I have seen it in my life personally, and I I I completely believed it. So I one of the organizations that I love because I believe that that is all about merit. And the more that you work, the more work they give you, which is good, but you have to be careful where you wish with too, is that because there's only 24 hours a day, but uh, is the American College of Surgeons. I started working locally, first with YFA locally, then with the chapter. And as I worked more for the chapter, I raised to the ranks as president of the chapter. Then in YFA nationally, I started with the mentoring program, with, then with education that put me in the program committee. And uh, education and mentoring is something that I love. And then from that, I became head of YFA. And, and, and it was not a struggle of like, oh, I want to be head of this it's just it was a result of me just investing the time and loving what I did with everything every opportunity same with Pan American Trauma Society Pan American Trauma Society for me is a hundred percent just like love because I do believe that especially in Latin America we have a ton of work to do in supporting women in surgery like we're a little bit behind but I think with with intention and with help, we can get, we can get better every day. So that's, uh, I think that's how it happened. And I think, and, and I, and I really love it. I realized that I'm actually, I think I'm good at it too. I think, you know, how it's in, and then once you feel that you get a feel for it, you, that you're good at something, you're, you're more encouraging learning more and learning more about it. And I think what you're describing, the one main thing is that when we become our true and authentic self, you know, we shine a bit brighter and we project all the things that that matter to us. We seek out things that so we can find our purpose through all of this too. And there's something about that internal light that shines and people are like moths to a flame. When you are the flame, you will find yourself surrounded with people who are looking to find faith because they don't know necessarily how to find it themselves. 
and it becomes contagious. When you have someone that, that knows who they are and is able to articulate it and everyone flocks to you and they say, look at her and then maybe I can do this too. And it's almost like this, this flame catches and you spread it as it as it goes along. And I completely agree. I think the American Call to Surgeons has so many opportunities for us to do that. And if we you know, contribute even just a little bit to it, it offers us a pretty open framework to be able to do a lot of these things. And you know, we don't have to start from zero. And we share all these opportunities with each other. And then, you know, show up in the job and then do the job. And and that's how we make changes. Because I think a lot of times we can look at it and say, things need to change. And it, it's a little overwhelming if you think about it, but it really just kind of comes one step at a time and one job at a time and a little bit here and there and finding the right people and realizing our exponential effect on the world. I definitely think that you and I are, are very similar in that respect of that, the belief that we can get other people to believe and we can find you know, our, our people that can help and then spreading it that way and really empowering the next generation because really that's how change happens. It's like a, it's like a brush, frame, I, brush fire. <laughs> yeah, and maybe that's how we found each other. Exactly. Because I, I believe in that. You, I truly believe in that once you put an intention um, out in the universe, uh, like the energy is aligned to help you get mm -hmm. to work. On. Yeah. Yes. Like magnets. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I was, I think that uh I I know we're getting a little esoteric right now, but I have no proof of this. Absolutely. But I do believe that we as human communicate, not only communicate with voice and non-spoken language, but I think that that we can feel each other intentions. Um and that, and, and I truly believe in that. I, I think I'm, I've am i been separating from my parents for a long time since I left Colombia and I feel how they are. I feel when they struggle, I have a great communication with my sister too. I have, I have that also with patients. And I think that, that, that that's how we find each other. And that's how we help each other. How do, when I was, there was a time in my life when I was struggling and I was not public about it. But a bunch of people showed up just to ask for advice in the same situation that I was and, and offer help. Why? Because I think we feel we have, we as humans have that, that thing that is, that is untapped and I don't know how to like put in a name or touch it, but we have that. We have that potential to feel each other's intention and helping each other improve and be better. I completely agree. And I've heard this said this way as when we start realizing what our intention is or something that we want or something that we need, when we put it out in the world, it's like the universe conspires to help us. And, you know, when you actually start to realize, I think I might need help with this. It's crazy how everything just seems to show up when you need it. And I don't think that's an accident at all. So I think you and I certainly agree on that as well. Yeah, for sure. So what is next for you? Where do you see, because I mean, now I'm like really fascinated to see what's going to happen next for you. But where do you see your next career steps going? I don't know what my next careers are going to go. I think I want to really enjoy where I'm at now. I think for a long time in my life, I have always been thinking, okay, I'm going to do this and then what's next and then what's next. But I think that I want to focus in my present. I want to enjoy what I do. I enjoy deeply what I'm doing in my division. I enjoy 
my uh, position at the Pan American Trauma Society, enjoy what I do with for the college. I want to just enjoy what I'm doing, and uh, you see these opportunities to help other people, and and we'll see what happens. I don't have to. I don't. I I feel right now. I don't have to have an immediate plan for I the future. It. I want to just drink it, drink it a little bit, like yes. enjoy. It. I love that so much. And a couple podcast episodes ago, I re-recorded the AWS talk that I gave about how our careers evolve. And there is a point where we have the hustle, which gets us to where we're at. But mid-career can be very disorienting, but it can also be very empowering too, of just saying like, I don't have to do anything else. And now I get to do stuff. And I can actually stop for a little bit and enjoy it because I have arrived. Like there isn't there isn't a next that's really urgent or necessary that right here is actually pretty darn good. Yeah, exactly. Right here is good. I have a son that is doing amazing, a stepdaughter that I adore, a husband that loves me and supports me, and which is refreshing because then I think having a having a partner in life that is actually part of what you do, it has been great for me. And I think I, I have the opportunity right now to just smell the roses. Yes. And I know we didn't talk about this a lot, but I've had a couple of podcast episodes on divorce. And I know that you went through a divorce here too. So for those people who are struggling right now with their divorce, what message do you want to send them? I think that whether you're struggling with divorce or whether you're struggling with marriage, I think is a very personal decision. And, and I think it takes courage to the same way that uh, that it takes courage to change the status quo in your in your uh, professional lives it takes courage to send your to change your status quo in your personal life and but what is the other option the no decision in your life is uh, is is a decision no decision is a decision so i think that because we live a life where we're we're always constantly constantly moving, going from other place, doing things for patients, doing things for the family, doing things for everybody, and not really doing many things for ourselves, right? Like a little hamster in a wheel. I think it's important to find time to get introspection, and nobody can tell you that. Everybody, everybody's introspection and every everybody's happiness is different. Have some introspection and then decide. Where is happiness for you? How is happiness for you? And whatever the place in your life, whether it's physical or spiritual, whatever your soul sings, that's where it's at. That's where you should be. I love it. That is perhaps like, I think my favorite quote in quite a long time, it takes courage to change the status quo. And this idea, I mean, courage is feeling fear and doing it anyway. And like, it's so safe to stay in the status quo, but of course your soul is not singing if that's not where it's meant to be, but doing the difficult thing and doing the hard thing and not sure, you know, what's going to happen, but doing it anyway. What a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. And it's not, and and it's interesting because it's not when you're in an unhappy situation, you're not comfortable. It's not that you're, when we say, take away yourself from the comfort zone, you're not comfortable. You're just familiar. You're just uh, in a habit, in a weight and a habit, but don't let the habit that have it trap you and the answer of of not being trapped is you nobody else can tell you how to how to manage it whether if you're staying married getting divorced or not the only person that really knows the answer is you right 
and then you go through the struggles and then you find where you're at right now, which you could tell that you're happy. You could tell that you're at peace. I'm at peace. <laughs> and I think that, and it took forever, I think. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it took forever. Like when I, I start, when I, I was actually sitting, I was, I was sitting at the, the tourism postman with Mark de Moya, who was my fellow when I decided to, to go to the airport and buy a ticket to, to talk to the chairman. And I was like, it is crazy that I'm sitting here with you right now. It could have gone so many other ways, but, but yeah, it, I think it took forever. It took a lot of hustling to get to a place where I can find myself peaceful. Yes. And for that person who's in the middle of the struggle, who feels like it's taking a long time, what would you tell them? It, it feels like forever right now, but once you get through it, you will get there. There's a light of the end of the tunnel. There's something that I put in a talk at some point before. It's like everybody can be the hero of your own story, right? If you think about all the struggles that we go in life, like not even the struggles, like the struggles that are like soul consuming, but the basic struggles, like going, like learning how to walk, like going to primary school, like going to medical school, you go, you start with, with a call, like a call for action. You go through your trials and tribulations, right? You have to slay some dragons. You feel like you're going to die. You feel, and then in that moment, you feel isolated. The world is ending, but you have to go through that part to be, to go, to conquer it, right? Mm. You have to go through it. There's no way around it. You have to go through it. And you see all the stories of like Hunger Games and Superman is the same, like it's amplified, but it's truly what we do every, what we do every day. Right. I was actually talking to someone about this the other day, the difference between Disney movies and Hallmark movies, like Mm. Hallmark movies are like kind of flat and everything's all happy and it's forgettable. But the Disney movies, man, they go through some struggles. <laughs> <laughs> no, they do go. It's like the modern, the modern Shakespeare. I think, but I also think that that's life. And yes. I think when we talk in leadership, when we talk about a fixed mindset or growth mind mindset, I think we all were born with growth mindsets. We yes. all were born because otherwise, if we were not, we the first time that you were trying to walk and fell, you wouldn't try again, right? Mm-hmm. There'll be a bunch of people in wheelchairs because you try to walk, you couldn't, you you scrape your, your knees and you're like, I'm afraid to walk again, right? That issue of, of being afraid of failing, the, the being afraid of trying something new is conditioned by society. We mm-hmm. were not born that way. Mm-hmm. And who wants to be the star of a boring movie? <laughs> exactly. You know, somebody told me once, and I love this quote, live your life like a book that somebody wants to read. Yes. Yeah. I am proud of my book that I'm writing. The book of my life. I'm proud of it. Yes. I actually wrote an article maybe a year or so ago called Embrace the Plot Twist, which is exactly like that. I read a lot and those stories are so interesting and compelling, um, but I'm not really particularly attached to what's happening to them. When you're living it, you're very attached to it. But if you step back, you're like, it was always meant to happen this way. This was what I had to do to get the lesson that I needed. And this lesson is going to allow me to share it with everybody else. There's purpose to pain. So that's definitely, you know, where I've I've tried to resolve my own challenges in life. <laughs> right. Yeah. Same. Another thing we have in common. Exactly. Well, I have a feeling this is probably not the last time we'll be talking, but do you have any other last words for anybody at any stage of your career? Just have hope, hope and faith and belief 
And above all, just believe in yourself because it's really hard to go through struggles if you don't know in your heart that you can do it. I completely agree. For more information on the Boss Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.